This evening we're opening God's Word in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, please. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'll read towards the end of the chapter from verse 8 down to verse 15. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll begin our reading at verse 8. So let's hear the Word and give attention to the Word of the living God. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, He hath dispersed abroad, He hath given to the poor, His righteousness remaineth forever. He that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed so on, and increase the fruits of your righteousness." being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of the service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ, and for your liberal distribution unto them, and unto all men, and by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. Amen. And we trust that God will bless the reading of His Word to our heart. Let's unite in prayer. I look around, I see many of God's saints, and let's unite in prayer, praying together, praying earnestly. Lifting up your heart to the Lord, that He will speak, that He will unfill this preacher, that He will use this earthen vessel to flow through and speak to those who are amongst us who are not saved or those who watch online. So let's uh, unite our hearts together in prayer. Eternal God and gracious Father, we thank Thee that Thou art able to make all grace abound towards us, that we would have sufficiency in all things. And Lord, this preacher needs grace. I need the help and the power of Almighty God. And Lord, once again, I pray that Thou would wash me for my daily defilement, that Thou would cleanse me in the Redeemer's blood. You have said that if we confess our sin, that Thou art faithful and just to forgive sin and to cleanse from all unrighteousness. But Lord, Thou hast also said that if we ask, we shall receive. And so I ask for the infilling of the Spirit of the Lord, once again, I confess, without Him, this will be a vain exercise. This will be all human and fleshly. And that's not what we want. It's not what sinners need. They need the power and the operation of the Holy Ghost upon the Word as it's preached. And we pray, O Father, for those who are here tonight, their children, young people, Lord, those who are older in years. O Father, we pray that Thou will open their heart we pray once again that Thou would, as it were, captivate their attention. Lord, may every wandering thought be banished. And we pray, O God, that as the Word is sounded out, God, that they would hear, that this would be of profit to them. Lord, these are solemn things. This is a, a serious, Lord, a subject and matter, O God, that we deal with as the gospel is preached, uh, the matter of men and women's souls. O God, they're a mortal soul. And we pray, O oh, Father, that they would think about that. Think about, 
how they stand before thee, where they're headed, God, in eternity. Oh, Father, we pray that these things will come to the very forefront of their mind. Lord, at this night, that thou would save them by thy matchless grace. Hear prayer, bring glory to the Savior. For this I asked in Jesus' precious and his worthy name. Amen. Now, I wonder, boys and girls, or young people, or even older people, is there a gift that you receive one year at Christmas that sticks in your mind? I remember every year for a number of years, I got a mitre football. And at that time, that was the official ball of English football's top flight. And I remember that one year, I got this mitre football with aqua blue detailing on it. And I really loved that ball. For weeks after, I would take care not to scuff it on the concrete. I would always play with it on the grass. And if it got dirty, I would wash it and I would wipe it down. I still remember it. And even if I could get the smell of a new leather football, it would take me back to that time when as a boy I received that gift. Now, it wasn't the biggest gift I had ever received. It wasn't even the most expensive gift that I received, but it is and it was the gift that lingers long in the memory, for it meant a lot to me as a little boy. Now, needless to say, the scuffs did come, and the care given was not as diligent, and that gift, it no longer remains today. Now, we are coming to that time of the year when gifts are given and received, and many have begun Maybe some have finished their Christmas shopping, whether in the shops or online. I dare say that many of the men in here haven't even begun their Christmas shopping yet. But one of the greatest challenges we often face is trying to figure out what to get that person who has everything and needs nothing. It's then that we fall back in the old staples and consumables like chocolate or toiletries and socks. Gifts, while practical and enjoyable, are not those that we would consider to leave a person speechless. That is, of course, in our age and in our country because we have so much by comparison to others. Now, to set the context of the verse that I'm sure you can guess that we are going to consider this evening, just under 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul He wrote a letter to a group of Christians in a city called Corinth. And in that letter, there was a section, chapters 8 and 9, in which he deals with the matter of giving a gift. You see, there were needy Christians in Jerusalem who were being persecuted for their faith, and they were finding finding their situation very difficult. And in this particular issue of church life, the believers at Corinth were given some instruction by the Apostle Paul of giving a gift towards the believers there in Jerusalem. In chapter 8, if we study that out, we see that he appeals to the very liberal example of the churches of Macedonia. And though they were exceedingly poor, they had contributed with great liberality and cheerfulness. From their example... Paul, he encourages Timothy, or sorry, Titus, who was the pastor, to lay the subject before the Corinthians and finish the collection which he had begun among them. Now he bases 
his appeal to them on the sacrificial love of the Savior, reminding them that though he was rich, yet for his people he became poor, that they through his poverty might be rich. Now Paul assures them, he goes on to assure them that it's not his desire to burden them in this matter in chapter 9. And he encourages them to give according to their ability. He also writes of the attitude with which they should give this gift, telling them in verse 7 of chapter 9 that God, he loveth a cheerful giver. Now that holds true in every realm, not just church life. The sentiment of the gift would be lost if it were given by someone begrudgingly, in a manner that expressed that they loathed, they hated giving the gift over to the other person. Now this being done, giving according to their ability, and giving in a cheerful attitude, well then God would see fit that all grace would abound to them, that they would find Him to be sufficient for their every need. They would not be in lack if they gave to the Lord's work and for the Lord's cause. But as Paul so often does, while he's talking about things on a human level, his mind is always racing towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And he always takes the good things that he's talking about on a horizontal level among men, and he lifts them up at some point, and he brings them up to Christ. He's expounding here the wonderful generosity commanding the Corinthians for their giving, speaking about monetary and practical matters and gifts within the church, and then suddenly his heart just swells, and it's like he cannot stop his pain, and he bursts out with grateful praise in verse 15, Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. It's these words that I want to consider this evening under the heading, God's unspeakable gift. Firstly, consider with me the giver. The giver of the unspeakable gift. Paul, he identifies the giver of this gift in his exclamation. He says, thanks be unto God. The most familiar verse in the Bible reminds us that it's God the Father who gave His Son. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. This is a divine gift. God did not withhold the darling of His bosom, the one in whom He delighted, the eternally begotten Son of God. Now, I love the authorized version, especially on that great verse, John 3, 16, for it gets it right. It emphasizes the unique eternal sonship of Christ. You see, the modern versions leave out these words, only begotten. And you read it like this, For God so loved the world that He gave His Son. Now, while God has many sons by regeneration, and He brings many sons to glory, He has only one Son who is eternally begotten not created but begotten, one who is of the same substance and same essence as God the Father. The Lord Jesus Christ's eternal Sonship reveals that He is not one of many, that He is not one of others. He is the only begotten Son of God. Now the cults, 
Take, for example, the Russellites or the Mormons. Though they would like to deny it today, they would like to insert and squeeze in their blasphemous teaching concerning Christ. To say that Satan and Jesus were spirit brothers. You see, that's what their false writings teach. Not at all. God gave His only begotten Son. He gave the one who was most precious to Him. Now, we have to ask the question, why? Why did He do that? Well, we're told in the Bible that God, because of His great love, sent His Son to become man in order that He, that is, His Son, would die in the place of guilty sinners to save them by obtaining for them a perfect righteousness and atoning for their sin. John the Apostle tells us in his first epistle, Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation of our sins. This was a divine gift, but this was also a gift of grace. That God would give His Son to endure such suffering and shame as a substitute for sinners. You know, you and I, we give gifts. Because the recipients of our gifts have some claim on us. They're either family members or friends or co-workers or members of the congregation here. Or someone who has given us a gift last year. They have some sort of claim upon us. But you and I have no claim upon God. By our sin we forfeited any claim that we might have to the favor or the goodness of Almighty God. None of us are deserving of this gift. The only thing that you and I deserve is the wrath of a sin-hearing God. And we could not complain if God gave this to us as our eternal portion because it's exactly what you and I deserve. See, as Creator, God is due our worship and obedience. And He's worthy of both because of the gloriousness of His perfection and the fact that He is supremely sovereign in His position. He's the one who created this world. Very good, without disease, without death, without suffering. He fully fully furnished it for Adam and Eve. The first man and the first woman who had made in his own image and after his own likeness and down them with righteousness and holiness and knowledge. What gracious gifts, both spiritual and physical, Adam and Eve enjoyed freely from the hand of God at the beginning. And yet you know well the story. They sinned against God. They committed high treason against the one who had given them so much. They transgressed the command of God and they ate the forbidden fruit. Never since all born into this world are born with the sinful nature of our fallen parents, a nature which is soon seen in life by the fruit it produces. Sinners and sinful, that is what we are. That is who we are. Enemies opposed to God. Are such persons deserving? 
of any gift from God, never mind the gift of His Son. Even though that is who and what we are, God, He still demonstrates His goodness to sinners every single day by giving them many good gifts, health and clothing, strength and food and family and shelter. We're told that He maketh the sun to rise upon the evil and the good, and He sends the rain upon the just and the unjust. He giveth all their meat in due season. He did not leave Himself without a witness that He is the gracious, giving God. God is under no obligation to be good to those who daily sin against Him. But He is. He is the faithful God. He's faithful to His own nature. And He gives us and He gives you such good things. I wonder if you ever stopped to think of the giver. The giver of every benefit that you enjoy in this life. We are told in James chapter 1 and the verse 7, And every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Yes, we can apply that verse, and it speaks of the common mercies received from the hand of God every day, but it also speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, over and above, temporal daily gifts that are so often taken for granted, abused by sinners that they may live on in their sin, God gave His good and His perfect Son. Since God in love, He gives countless benefits to those who are His enemies, what must His love be like for His Son? His only begotten Son. And yet He gave Him. He gave Him to the whip. He gave Him to the scourging. He gave Him to the scorning. He gave Him to the crown of thorns. He gave Him to the nails. He gave Him to the tree. He gave Him to the darkness. He gave Him to the curse. Therefore, we deduce His great love for sinners if that was the only way by which they could be saved. You see, He provided. He provided no Savior for the angels who at one time did praise Him, but then sinned against Him. And yet in great love, He provided a Savior for those who never did any good at any time. What a gracious gift. You know how you respond to the gospel. Sinner, that's how you respond to the giver of this unspeakable gift. Don't you think that God, God's personal interest is divorced from your response to the gospel? He's the one who sent the Son. He's the one who gave His Son the generosity of our God. It was sent out this week in the BFC, BFPC text. Unto us. A child is born, unto us a son is given. Don't think God's personal interest is divorced from how you respond to the gospel, for He is the one who gave His Son. How is it? How is it you treat and think of this gracious gift that He gave? Maybe with contempt. Maybe with indifference. Maybe you reject it. 
And when you stand before God, do you not think that God will not treat you with contempt and with indifference and reject you when you stand before Him, counting His Son as a thing of naught? What an insult to the God of heaven to take from Him with the one hand all the daily blessings that He loads your life with, and yet with the other hand dismiss and reject the gift of His dear Son. Consider the giver of this unspeakable gift. But secondly, this evening, think about the greatness of this unspeakable gift. The word unspeakable, which Paul uses, is only found here in this verse in the whole of the New Testament. Scholars believe that Paul actually coined this word, this term, to be used in this context. It's a word, I think it's self-explanatory. But it's a word that means define expression or description, that which cannot be fully related or communicated. And really when Paul thinks of who God gave, His only begotten Son, it's a gift of love and a gift of grace and a a gift of mercy that is indescribable and beyond human vocab. It is something incapable of being adequately expressed or uttered to someone else. You know, you can bring forth all the mighty preachers, the most gifted public speakers, the most eloquent linguists, and the great orators of this world, and yet they would all fail to set forth by speech the greatness of God's gift. No, it doesn't mean that it shouldn't be done. And it doesn't mean that it hasn't been practiced. But no mortal man, and I also say no angelic tongue, could even fully and comprehensively declare the greatness of God's unspeakable gift. It is a great gift. In fact, I use the superlative, He, Christ, is the greatest gift. Now, the worth of a gift, It's often determined by the thought put into it or the value of it. Well, it took eternal wisdom to devise a plan of redemption that would involve God giving His Son. An eternal thought. And I struggle to use the right and appropriate words when considering the eternal counsel of the triune God but an eternal thought was exercised when the Father chose and commissioned the Son. And correspondingly, the Son voluntarily stood up and said, I'll be the Savior of men. Divine omniscience went into this unspeakable gift. Oh, what thought, eternal thought, went into the gift of God's great Son. There's the greatness of this gift. But what about the value of the gift? What about the value of the greatest of gifts? Well, this cannot be adequately expressed by man and language. If God had given 10,000 angels, you know, we would have said, whoa, that's amazing. What a gift. But He didn't give 10,000 angels. He gave that which is infinitely more, the uncreated one. 
The unoriginated one. He gave his only begotten son, the one without beginning of days or the end of days. He gave the one who is eternal as God himself. You know, who can put a value on Christ? You consider the Lord's own question in Mark chapter 8. He says, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And we know and we learn from that passage that all the combined wealth of this world and this vast universe is not enough to redeem one sinner. And then we understand, it's saying we understand the worth of Christ and the preciousness of His blood, for He came to redeem a multitude which no man could number. Oh, the gift is great when we think of the thought that went into it. And we think of the value of it. But the gift is also unspeakably great when we consider the avenue through which God gave His Son, the life which Christ lived on earth and the means of suffering that Christ went through in order that the sinner's soul might be saved. See, in order for the Son of God to take the place of sinners, He must become man. Oh, what a thought. The unspeakable wonder of the incarnation, an event which our minds is drawn to at this time of the year. The virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the ancient of days, being born in a cattle stall. The miracle of the virgin birth, the operation of the Holy Spirit upon the womb of the blessed virgin, preserving and safeguarding the Christ against transmission of original sin. Oh, in order that he did not sin, could not sin, and there is his intrinsic worth and value. The impeccable sinlessness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Surely in wonder we're lost for words as we consider the eternal God manifest in flesh was nursed upon a mother's knee. Mary ministered to him. She taught him. She instructed him. What a mystery. That the everlasting Son as a God-man would increase in wisdom as well as stature. That the maker of all would help Joseph in a carpenter shop to make items and implements and possibly furniture in the little town of Nazareth. That the one who owns everything had no place to lay his head. That the creator of the clouds and the rain and the seas would ask the despised Samaritan woman for a drink from the well. That he who is the Lord of hosts would allow a legion of Roman soldiers to bind him and take him from the garden. That he who is the light of the world would be engulfed in the darkness of Calvary. Surely there at the tree, Christ, he underwent unspeakable, indescribable agonies and horrors of soul as he was lifted up to die. Oh, it's only by that finished work, sinner, that God's justice is satisfied, that his anger is turned away, that you can be forgiven the greatness of the unspeakable gift is seen in what Christ underwent for sinners like you and me. The greatness of God's unspeakable gift is also seen in its suitability. And the blessings that accompany it. You know, sometimes you and I, we might get a gift. And it doesn't suit us. 
something like an item of clothing. It doesn't fit, therefore it's not suitable. Or else we get an electronic gift, and the batteries are missing. Or maybe you get a Lego set or a jigsaw, and there's one puzzle or uh, one uh, piece missing. It's incomplete. But the gift of Christ is exactly suited to what sinners need. You see, sinners need a righteousness with which God is pleased, one which matches up to His standard. For our own righteousness, well, there is filthy rags. They are soiled and stained with our own shortcomings. But in Christ we have a perfect righteousness. And there's nothing more suitable for your needs, sinner. That's what you need. You need righteousness. A justifying righteousness. And that alone is found in Christ. In Jesus Christ we also We find the suitableness of Him for the cleansing of our souls because we're told that it is the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sin. Indescribable benefits accompany this so great salvation. It's a full salvation. There's nothing missing. There's nothing left out. There's nothing that needs to be added to it. Take one of those blessings which the Apostle Peter writes about with the same sort of language here that Paul uses. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, we read of joy unspeakable. What a blessing that accompanies salvation. You know, there are multitudes who can testify that their happiness, of their happiness when their sins were forgiven, when the burden of guilt was rolled away, when they became a child of God, they can testify that that joy was unspeakable. To have the weight of crushing guilt removed. And have it replaced with a peace that passeth all understanding. is something that I or any other Christian cannot communicate fully to another. We can do our best. But it's better felt than told. Is it any wonder that G&E Hall She wrote these words, The love that Jesus had for me, to suffer on the cruel tree, that I, a ransomed soul, might be, is more, it's more than tongue can tell. See, the odd time you might get a present from someone, which because of the greatness of its value, or the suitability to what you needed, or its thoughtfulness, or its loveliness, we might say to the giver, you know, I don't know what to say. I'm lost for words. I'm speechless. Well, that's what the Apostle Paul means here. When he says, thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. The greatness of God's gift robbed Paul of words by which he could adequately speak of Christ. I feel. I let you down, sinner. I feel I have to apologize for that. I cannot. And I say no man can ever communicate to you effectively, fully, completely, comprehensively, adequately the greatness 
of God's unspeakable gift. But the greatness is seen in the thought that went into it. The greatness is seen in the value of Christ. The greatness is seen in the avenue to which it came to man through the incarnation, the life that Christ lived, the death that he died. The greatness is seen in the suitability of that gift and the blessings that accompany it. Oh, the greatness of this unspeakable gift. That you would have some apprehension of it tonight. That the Holy Ghost would impress us upon your soul. This is a gift that's extended to you tonight in the preaching of the gospel. So the giver of the unspeakable gift, the greatness of the unspeakable gift, but finally, this evening, the gratitude for the unspeakable gift. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. Paul here, he gives thanks to God for the unspeakable gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was grateful for sending the Savior into the world to live and to die for Him. You know, we say thank you, or we should, when we receive a gift. We express our gratitude. One of the first things that words we teach our children is ta-ta, an abbreviation of the word thank you. Mothers, fathers, grannies, grandas, they often use the phrase, what do you say when, uh, when something is given to a child? We don't expect people to thank us or be grateful to us if we've done nothing for them, if we've given nothing to them. But God has given a son. This word, thanks, it has the idea and the thought of gracious cheer. That's this word. I wonder, are you glad? Are you glad that God gave a son? Paul most certainly was. Paul would have no bother singing those words that the men sang at the conference. Oh, say, but I'm glad, I'm glad. Oh, say, but I'm glad. Jesus has come and my cup's overrun. Oh, say, but I'm glad. Paul could thank God for all that he had done for him through the Lord Jesus Christ. God was gracious unto him. Saul, as he was known before, he was saved. He was the chief of sinners. He tells that about himself. He was a persecutor and a blasphemer. One who despised Christians, Jesus Christ, and the gospel. He was a proud man. He was a self-righteous man. He thought he had no sin. But he, like the rest of us, was under the judgment of God. And he was deserving of God's wrath. One day the Lord met Saul. He met him. In mercy, not judgment. Sinner, you'll meet God someday. We'll all meet God. You'll either meet him in judgment or you'll meet him in time and mercy. And Saul met the Lord in mercy on the road to Damascus. And the Lord opened Paul's eyes or Saul's eyes that he might see himself as he truly was, a sinner, a wretch unclean. God also opened his eyes to see the Christ of God. And gave him the faith to believe in the only Savior. 
That's why Paul could personally thank God for what he had done for him. And what now he had, now he was in Christ. And what was it he had? Eternal life. Isn't that what we read in Romans chapter 6, 23? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, when you receive Christ as your Savior, His righteousness, it's credited, it's imputed to you. You're justified, you're declared righteous by God, and therefore, being in Christ, and that being your standing, and being clothed in His righteousness, there is nothing worthy of death in that individual. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, and therefore the consequence is they have eternal life. See, a gift is something you say thank you for. It's not something you work for. Sinner, you don't have to pay God for salvation. The price has been paid. The blood has been shed. The little chorus goes, He paid a debt. He did not owe. I owed a debt. I could not pay. The price has been paid. For you now, you receive the gift of salvation. Through Jesus Christ our Lord by faith. That's what John 1 verse 12 tells us. That as many as receive Him, that's Christ, receive Him as a gift. Freely as He's offered to those individuals, God gives the right, the power to become the sons, the daughters of God. It's only those who receive the gift are the children of God. It may be that this night you still have not received the gift of God's salvation. Tonight in the gospel, it's freely offered to you again. Eternal life. God being the giver. Think about the greatness of the gift and all that that encompasses. Sinner, repent of your sin. And by faith receive Jesus Christ, the unspeakable, unspeakable gift, and you will have what? Eternal life. Now you might say, preacher, that's too simple. Sure, that's too simple tonight. Receive. Call on God to, to give you eternal life. Oh, yes, it's simple indeed to receive salvation and don't stumble over the simplicity of it, sinner. Little one, it's offered to you tonight freely. Ah, but... The divine wisdom, and love, and grace, and mercy, and power that is behind the procuring of salvation for lost sinners is indeed a thing that is indescribable and unspeakable. So great it is. There is a hymn, and I couldn't find the author, but it goes like this, unspeakable gift of God's great love. He sent His Son from heaven above. To earth He came to bleed and die, that we might dwell with Him 
on high. You will no doubt receive at least one gift over Christmas. And I trust as you think about the simplicity of reaching out your hand and taking it, that you will think about the gift of eternal life. We'll think about Christ, the unspeakable gift of God, and that you would receive Him. I beg you, do not stumble over the simplicity of the gospel. Christ is willing, Christ is waiting to save your soul. You know, if He was here in person, we know He's in glory. But if He was here in person, sinner, as the unspeakable gift, what He is, would you get up and walk out? As you've done so many times before. Oh, you'll take the breath He gives you. You'll take the food on your plate. You'll take the clothes on your back. You'll take all the common mercies off this life. Oh, you'll take them to you greedily. And maybe in the process you won't even thank God for them. But will you take Christ? By His Spirit He's here. Through the Word He is presented. I trust you will receive Him as your own. Let's bow in prayer. God's people pray. There's little ones here. And they know all about gifts, the simplicity of it. And I pray that the Lord would speak to their hearts. There's others here for many years have rejected the gift, rejected the Savior. Oh, I pray that, and you pray that they will have some comprehension of the greatness of God's unspeakable gift. Eternal God and loving Father, Lord, we confess that the gospel is so great, so wonderful, the person of Christ, so marvelous, so lovely, that we run out of words to describe, to tell the beauty of the Savior. Lord, we pray that the Holy Ghost will do the work that He will speak, that He will call, that He would draw sinners unto Christ, that the inquiry room would be filled, that, Lord, sinners would avail of the opportunity, they would slip in the door to my right, go on into the minister's room. Lord, that You would help them in this matter. Lord, show them, show them the folly of rejecting Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, we pray that you would bless your word. Pray, O oh God, that you would glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would bring sinners unto him. We thank thee that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And now I pray that the grace of the Lord Jesus, and the love of God, 
and the communion of the Holy Ghost will be the portion of thy people both this night and forevermore until the day break the shadows flee away and we all gather round the feet of the blessed Saviour. Hear our prayer and dismiss us with thy blessing. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.